Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, Alex is back. No, we're not replacing him with Bradley Whitford, though I did try. Aww. <laughs> no, I tried. I tried. I really did. But we do have another special guest. Last week, I talked to Bradley about the rising fascism in the GOP. Ultramaga tactics also remind us of another dark period in American history. Alex and I have been talking to our friend Mike Podhorzer about it, and we think you'll want to hear our conversation. So Mike graciously agreed to come back on. He's one of our uh, our favorite guests. Uh, so Mike, welcome back. Thank you. Alex, uh, we're, look, first of all, I do want to say, if you haven't listened to the Bradley Whitford episode on rising fascism in the GOP uh, last week's episode, you should. I think it was a it, it was one of my favorites uh, to have been part of and bring to you. So go do that. But Alex, this show's special. I think we can really get into some uh, important stuff here. So uh, lead us off. And if I get one more email saying last week's episode was my favorite episode to me, I'm 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 gonna lose it. You know, you were but you missed it. Yeah. I mean, you really missed a great episode, Alex. I just yeah. want you to know. Mike, I, I, I know there's plenty we want to get to, and Joe alluded to it, but we have to talk about last night. Uh, recording this on a Thursday. Uh last night, Ron DeSantis, I think the best word I'm gonna use is attempted to launch his presidential campaign. <laughs> we knew it was coming for a while. Joe and I weren't sure whether he'd actually do it. We're still questioning how long it'll be in, but Obviously, his Twitter launch was just a total, total debacle. And and I just wanted both of your sense of, like, is is this real? Like, how long is this going to last? Like, th- does any of this matter right now? Well, actually, I was just realizing when you, I guess, DeSantis hadn't seen how well Musk's SpaceX launch went. <laughs> and it kind of repeated there. But I think the thing with, DeSantis that we shouldn't get distracted by is that the whether it's DeSantis or Trump, whoever, they're all threats to the America we want to live in. And there's a way in which sort of kibitzing about the inside campaign stories misses that this is a very real fascist threat in the country, whether it comes in a DeSantis or a Trump package. Right. So we really should just be focusing on what he would do if he actually gets to the White House. And that's pretty frightening. Yeah, I think that, uh, look, I, I, I think there was a lot of glee out there. You know, it's 20 minutes rolled by. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, every once in a while you could you could hear a little, you, you know, a little comment here or there. It's clear it was not going well, which is how I tweeted it. But I do think you make a good point that. As much as we can make fun of it and laugh about uh, how ridiculous of an announcement it was, you can't sugarcoat how how big a threat uh, DeSantis or Trump or, frankly, the entire MAGA authoritarian uh, movement is, uh, regardless of who leads it. You know, right? And and also, it's hard. It's easy for uh, to lose sight of the fact that people are like actually living under his authoritarian regime in Florida right now, right? They're watching their freedoms get taken away. They're seeing the creation of a state-run election police. Um, They're looking at greater penalties for going out and protesting and exercising First Amendment rights. So he may have seemed clownish or 
not that competent, but he has, in fact, um, taken over that state, right? And yeah. that should sober us all. Well, you know, and the other thing is there's, we, we, we made fun of, I mean, I remember a lot of people made fun of Trump coming down the escalator and, and, and laughed about how, you know, at that. And people didn't focus he enough. Was yeah, and people did not focus enough on the danger he really represented until it was too late. Right. You know, so this is important stuff. And now you have DeSantis today joining Trump and saying that he would pardon the January, you know, six riot, you know, insurrectionists. Yeah. Which is... Again, you know, this whole notion that, that DeSantis is somehow different than Trump is, you know, they're, they're made of the same, the same stuff. It's, a, it's that Absolutely. same fuel, the, the MAGA insurrectionist, uh, anti-democratic authoritarian threat uh, is embodied in both of them. And frankly, I don't, whoever gets the nomination would have to somehow have appealed to that, to, to that, uh, that threat. Right. No, and I think you know there there has been a sort of growing parade in those states since Obama was elected, and the Trump and DeSantis are competing to be sort of who leads, who gets to be the drum major in front of the parade. But the parade pre-existed them, and the parade is going to go with whoever the drum major is. Right. It doesn't require like an exceptional um, leader. And in that way, this is very different from, say, Hungary, where it actually mattered that there was a singular Orban or in Turkey, where it had mattered that there was a singular Erdogan. Right here, that movement was building for over a dozen years and then they ran in front of it. So I'm glad you brought that up. This is where I wanted to go next, which like this idea that so first of all, by the way, uh, I'm still of the opinion of Joe is too that, you know, Trump's got like, depending on the poll between 45 and 55% of the GOP primary base, and he ain't letting go of it anytime soon. So this might all be a sideshow. But this idea that like and and we had Reed Galen on a few weeks ago where we talked about maybe the only possible way to beat Trump in a primary was to run straight at him and 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 try to grab every every anti-Trump person possible and and just take one last ditch at being the anti-Trump. That is not what Ron DeSantis is doing. He is trying to be either depending on how you look at it, Trump light or Trump heavy. And it 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 just it feels like and, and this is what I want to get to, Mike, because I know we talked about this pre-show too. How did we get here where a guy with $200 million, who's the governor of a state, who by all accounts has a pretty, you know, has a path to become president if the cards fall the right way. How is he making the decision that, and why are we at the point where he real, he thinks his only way to be president is to basically try to out-Trump Trump? So uh, it's a great question. I think that the, the way... Understand it, and this is something really for people to get their head around. Right, is that if you think of there being about twenty-eight red states and about seventeen blue states, which is about eighty-five percent of the country, right? In the last three elections, Biden, Clinton, and Obama won the blue states by two dozen points, and Trump twice and Romney won the red states by a dozen points. 
right? To be into like the only kind of politician that is going to get the Republican nomination is one who is like Trump, right? He did it. it we keep thinking it's kind of a close call because nationally it's so close to 50-50. But inside the Republican hothouse, inside Red America, they want that, right? There's no sort of trick here. And that's why it's so um, dangerous, right? Because there isn't someone who's more reasonable who can come in and do it. And the reason for that, which is sort of the why this is where it goes back all the way to the beginning of the country, is that the institutions in that part of the country, the white evangelical church, and now augmented by sort of the Fox information, disinformation bubble, creates a reality in which people like DeSantis and Trump make sense. And anybody who says something different is the enemy. And that's the trap we're in. It's a trap for the entire, I mean, you look at these other candidates, uh, you know, Tim Scott got in. It's like, yeah. I mean, how? <coughs> oh, he did? Yeah. I hadn't even noticed. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, in this party, the the base is going to reject anybody but a, a, either Trump or somebody who's even meaner, tougher, uglier, more vicious, more resentful. Uh, more revenge-seeking right. uh, than 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 Trump, and that's clearly who DeSantis is trying to be. Uh, we'll see. I don't. And, and the other thing, Michael, I, I don't understand is how they. Okay, you even the DeSantis uh, equation. Okay, you you defeat Trump, but somehow he won't. He's going to just bow and curtsy and and say you know and hold your hand up at the convention and. And wave sweet, whisper sweet nothings into the the MAGA cult's ears to to support the guy who defeated him. It's not going to happen. I mean, it's it's a, but, but and so I think it, you know it, the likelihood is it is Trump or DeSantis, probably Trump. But either way, it's it's a real somebody who will definitely threaten to carry this MAGA crowd. And and frankly, if defeated, I think likely to admit something much worse than January 6th, uh, even in defeat. But uh, I'd like to get your take on that. Yeah. So I th I think, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, this is the only like position they can take. But with a little bit of sort of imagination, you can see that it, it's going to like, be much, even more likely than you probably think to look like that and probably worse. Right, because between now and then, uh, we're almost certain to have an indictment of Trump for Georgia. We're going to have um, pretty likely something about Mar-a-Lago, possibly something federal on January sixth. We have still more. They're still smart matter. I mean, the when you layer then in all the things that are going to have to go through Congress. Right, DeSantis, Trump, all of them are going to have to repeatedly um, double, triple, quadruple down on all of those things. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've got Rhodes today being in, you know, being sentenced to 18 years. Right. Uh, the Oath Keepers. And at the same time, of course, on that day, that's the day DeSantis decides it, to, to talk about it, you know, pardoning. 
The, the, well, and remember, yeah. he also said he'd pardon Trump. He and when he said he'd pardon the January six people, he also said he'd consider pardoning Trump. So, yeah, it's oh, maybe Trump by the way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, guys, and and I think this will probably be a future show. Um, this always happens, by the way, when we decide to record. Uh, breaking news from the Washington Post. The Post has learned that investigators have new evidence of possible obstruction in the classified documents investigation, including an alleged dress rehearsal for reviewing material Donald Trump wanted to keep. And we'll probably link to this in our show notes. But like literally, Mike, you're saying other stuff's coming around the pike. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot hanging over his head that ultimately will probably help him in a primary. But but none of this is over by by any means. No, no, it's going to be really another unprecedented election year. Unprecedented is, is a good word, but actually, and again, going back to pre-show a little bit, yeah. a lot of this is, I think, does have precedent. And one of the things that Joe and I talk a lot about, and actually I think you brought up on our last show when you were on, is this idea that you know, as demographics are shifting and as, you know, it, it yeah, okay, Joe Biden's probably going to win the popular vote by probably more than 8 million votes next year. Um, there are more Democrats voting than Republicans. And one of the things that the ultra MAGA side of the GOP, which is really all the GOP now, has has been doing is getting more and more vicious with how they're they're trying to hang on to power, changing the rules, voter suppression, everything you can think of. And, and Mike, you point out there's a lot of similarities between what happened about 100 years ago. Yeah. So the, there are some really important cycles in American history, and we're in the middle of one. If Without being sort of too much a history class, but the, remember, we had the Civil War that led to Reconstruction and then a backing away from Reconstruction. And as um, the there was a backing away, um, that opened up the door for the, the KKK and others to write Jim Crow constitutions in the um, in the formerly Confederate states, and the and you know we're going through something of the same thing now, where we, after much struggle, um, had a second Reconstruction with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and a commitment to full citizenship um, across, for, across all Americans. And the, this is um, the same kind of thing where we've reached somehow a point, and a lot of this has to do with the Supreme Court, where people outside of those states have pretty much decided not to continue to try to enforce um, the second Reconstruction. And with the sort of we'll look the other way attitude from the Supreme Court, we've seen them rush back into writing for the second round of Jim Crow regimes, right, which are looking pretty much like what they were the first time, although obviously not um, as extreme as it was 100 years ago, of course. But the same um, shadow and shape of a playbook were the first things they do. Is is basically eliminate two party competition, and create a one party state, and which is pretty much what all those states are. 
Now, it looks a little different from what it looked like uh, 100 years ago, because in some states like a North Carolina or a Georgia, it's still the case that um, statewide elections um, are still can at times elect Democrats. But because of the gerrymandering and uh, the really ignoring the Voting Rights Act, all of those states have impervious state legislative majorities. And over this period of time, those state legislatures have taken powers away from the executive when Democrats get elected. And they keep, as you know, you're reading the, you're seeing the news every day, the expel people in Tennessee, um, vigilante abortion laws, you know, all of that. They are rewrite, they are basically undoing the gains that were hard won for decades of struggle against for, for our basic freedoms now. It's really amazing when you look at this, what these states are doing. I mean, you look at DeSantis signing a six, you know, the six week uh, abortion ban, yeah. uh, uh, you know, banning the books. Uh, it just took one neo-Nazi sympathizer to get Amanda Gorman's poem banned in Florida. I mean, in, in elementary yeah. schools in Florida, um, you see, um, I, I actually, I still believe that I've had the theory, Mike, that uh, a lot of what DeSantis and, and Abbott and these sort of one-party rule states are trying to do is, you know, hanging up these big signs that say, if you hate these people, come to Florida. And if you're one of these people we hate, please leave, uh, or you're welcome to leave. And that it's actually kind of like a strategy to create um, in-migration of MAGA proponents and movement people into their states and keep Democrats going back to New York, California, wherever they came from. You know, I mean, it's like it's part of a strategy to take advantage of the Electoral College, um, the, you know, the way the Senate uh, it, it, you know, each state gets two of them. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it, they they're gaming um, the founders, and you know, you know, in a way um, to solidify their anti-democratic. You know, I mean, basically to do it under the guise of legal briefs and other ways that they're going to get there to try to do a legal coup this time that failed in, in, in you know on January sixth. But but this thing is far more dangerous, and I think it's far. It's it's really a thought out strategy. It's not just you know they're just not attacking these people by accident, not passing these laws in these states. There's a purpose to the whole thing. Part of it's the cruelty, but the other part of it is to change the electoral dynamic to their favor by you know getting progressives to leave and and fueling more MAGA hate in the state to be a magnet for the the cult followers. Yeah, and I think that the the, the important hack they have into our constitutional and legal system is that, which is pretty much was what happened after Reconstruction, um, is that the primary system and Republican primaries in the um, South in these states, uh, the MAGA voters definitely dominate and. They're able to do that because in almost all, if we're talking about a state legislative or congressional district, no less than 40% of the people who vote in them are evangelicals. 
and they're voting at like 80-20. They're, they're just basically have a lock on that. And since the such extreme gerrymandering, that's the entire election, right? And so the only candidate that comes out is a MAGA candidate who's going to win the general because it's a gerrymandered district, right? And that was precisely what was understood in the 60s when the Voting Rights Act was passed, right? Because the idea of the Voting Rights Act was that any changes to election laws have to be cleared by the Justice Department. And so for several decades, this was held in abeyance and you started to see two-party competition in the South. Remember all the people like Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, Zell Miller, Lawton Childs, they suddenly emerged because with the Voting Rights Act, you could have a real small D democratic election, two-party competition in the region. And it was rapidly breaking down Jim, all those Jim Crow legacies. Then you get the Federalist Society take over the Supreme Court. What do they do? They say, oh, Shelby, no, 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 you can gerrymander. That's ridiculous. Um, Rucho, other things that allow gerrymandering, right? All of those things. And the Voting Rights Act. And right, they just, we like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said on Shelby about that it was kind of like someone um in the middle of a huge rainstorm, saying that they didn't need their umbrella because they weren't getting wet, right? And right, and we have taken away the constraints that were creating democracy in that region, and it's you know authoritarianism, fascism has rushed right back in. And now they've stacked the courts even more. I mean, to, to right. keep doing it, to just keep keep gaming. Yeah. So looking ahead. And and after that wonderfully rosy picture, <laughs> Mike, I wanted I wanted it's to make funny. sure we it's got yeah. Unfortunately, it really isn't. Yeah. yeah, which is why it was kind of cathartic to watch like you know Ron DeSantis like announce his president's announce his presidential run to like Cat Turd, which is a real name I just yeah. learned about. Um, but so Mike, one thing that Joe and I have repeatedly tried to to make sure people realize is just how dangerous some of the reporting of the horse race and especially looking ahead next year is. Um, you know, there were a couple headlines, you know, with DeSantis this past week that were like, you know, CNN showed a poll that had Trump at 55% in the GOP base, which is like game over by every stretch of the imagination. Even the Trump, uh, DeSantis was like 21. Yeah. But like, but they, they were saying like, the way they the way they phrased it was like they were desperately hoping that there could be some kind of race for them to cover when it just wasn't reality. And right. you know, you brought up the point that, and, and I want to get into the, your last Substack piece. Um, that yeah. This obsession with Joe Biden's approval ratings is like the wrong question. And I just want to read the headline and then let you get into yeah. it. You, you know, you said, "Don't panic about Joe Biden's approval ratings." Do panic that voters will forget that their freedoms and well-being are on the ballot again. So I want to just let you get into that a little bit. Sure. Every president has a negative approval rating, right? Since about the beginning of the century, with the exception of the short period of time when George Bush got a bump after 9-11, presidents... Um, are just underwater all the time after their honeymoon ends, which is getting shorter and shorter, right? And, you know, essentially from the 
Tea Party summer in 2009 to now, the presidential approval has stayed, you know, between the 40-yard lines, basically. You know, that's all there is. And the reason is, which should might be clear, but we keep, but people, but the sort of media establishment is in denial, is that Americans are dissatisfied with all the governing institutions, right? They feel like if you look at approval ratings for anything, it's about the same, like 40%, because people are paying attention, right? The economy is not working for them. The, you know, all of the things that they don't think are working. And so whoever's president gets the, that's what's reflected in their approval ratings, right? They basically have the people who are pretty strongly with their party saying, oh yeah, he's doing a good job. And that's pretty much it. And so the, right, so it's both, an, it's, it's both an important signal that our institutions are letting people down and, but it's also, in terms of thinking about 2024, not really that relevant, um, right? Because anybody who's sitting in the White House would be getting that kind of approval rating. Um, it's just the new normal. Um, so yeah, I think that's the, the point. And the other part, though, is that what matters is whether voters understand what's really on the ballot. Right. Remember how we all felt after Trump won in 2016, and we looked at the states that we everybody understood were going to be the fulcrum for the future: uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia. Right? And we were all really, you know, concerned because we had this stereotype of the kind of voters who were especially in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Well, when he won, right, he won all five states. And four of the five states had Republican governors, and six of the 10 uh, senators from those states were Republicans. Now, four of the five governors are Democrats, nine of the 10 senators are Democrats. Magas won almost no statewide election in those five states and since MAGA became the question. Right. So the question going into 24 is, will those voters who just you know, voted for the Democrat in the Supreme Court race in Wisconsin by 11 points, the people who elected Shapiro by, yeah, all of those, if they understand that's what's on the menu again, they're not going to, they're going to order, you know, whatever else is on the, you know, they're just not going to go there. But that's not assured, right? The media has a lot to do with that. And if they try to, you know, try to muddy that. Remember how in the last week of 2016, New York Times had something like five front page stories about Hillary's emails, right? We don't, that's, that's how we lose in 24. Well, the, the thing is though, that it, it's, you know, something Biden says, you know, don't, don't compare me to the almighty, compare, compare me to the alternative. The, you, you point out, look, right. I mean, it's the same thing that, you know, Trump's numbers Approval numbers are not going to yeah. be anywhere. It's this, or and DeSantis, like you know, I mean, come on, you know, it, it, whatever, whoever comes out of it on the other side, uh, their their numbers are going to be crap. Yeah, and so yeah, it really is going to be, and it, that's the other side of this. It's going to be about what what terrain is this fought on, right? If it's fought on freedom, you know, 
again, as Biden uh, in, in his announcement video, he has more freedom versus less, more rights versus fewer, democracy, you know, versus you, you know authoritarianism. Yeah, Biden uh, 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 will will win this thing. You know, it's clear as you point out in those states where they haven't won since MAGA became the threat. It's really that has to be front and center. And people, I just think, you know, again, on the Democrat progressive pro-democracy side, yeah, there is disappointment. That's the other thing about approval ratings. I'm sure that there are plenty of people who are uh, less, you know, only somewhat approval of, of Biden because they think he should have done more. They want more and they can't get more because it's of the Republican obstruction, the MAGA obstruction. So there's a lot, you know, the, the approval ratings don't necessarily mean, in fact, we, it's clearly the case that, um, that there's more support uh, for Biden than the approval ratings because of what he's gotten accomplished and who he's likely to be competing against. Um, you know, so I just think that the whole obsession with the press on all it, again, it's their obsession with trying to create the horse race. I mean, it's part of why CNN had Trump on for that hour, you know, for its eyeballs and not democracy. Can't wait to see yeah. what uh, what Nikki Haley's ratings are going to be for her town hall. I think it'll be a little less. You know, yeah, it, Joe, I'm glad you point that out. And 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 Mike, I want to hear your thought. But th there's one quote from from your your last piece, and and you you quoted or at least you referenced Rui Teixeira who, yeah. Joe, this gets to the point you just made, you know, the only real right reason that Joe Biden might lose the election is a political class so obsessed with seeming savvy and even-handed that it relentlessly ignores the catastrophic consequences of a second Trump administration, which would be kind of this whole thing in a nutshell, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, it's, you know, the, we need a media that covers uh, elections in terms of what's at stake, not like who's up or who's down. Absolutely, man. I mean, I, I, that that's the part that I think is just, um, I know, you know, we talked about the Supreme Court and, and, you know, all the other, and what the Republicans have done, what MAGA's done in these states and and what their governors have done and, you know, to create uh, their their movement and to, get, to, to make the threat so real. And then at the same time, the, I think the biggest letdown has been um, journalism and the way um, the the press uh, conti continues to see this as normal politics as two parties, you know that that, that it, you know. Look, if there were two pro democracy parties who were committed to it, uh, right, that'd be fine. Let's have it. Let's have it out. Let's have that debate. And uh, but that's not that's not what's going on here. And they're not reporting the threat and making it clear that one party's you know they. You can't report, you can't cover both sides of a lie. You know, there is a lie, or, you know, I mean, as Stuart Stephen right. liked to say, it, it's, uh, but they keep covering it that way. It's just, uh, it's, it's really frustrating. But the, the, the reality is they built, the right built the, you know, Fox and Breitbart and Alex Jones and, and Steve Bannon, all of them, you know, created these, this network out there, um, this outrage machine. And there's nothing, you know, the mainstream media doesn't counter it. And there's no real concerted effort, you know, with that kind of funding that Murdoch and the Koch brothers, yeah. et cetera, put in to, to fight. So it's, re it's really up to, to the activists out there, the organizers, the people, you know, people. And we have the union 
and, and other things, but and there's other good groups out there, but it's really incumbent on all of us to to know to make clear what this thread is to keep the word out there, which you're doing a great job of, and why we wanted to have you on the show. But it's it's really the uh, how do we get the press to recognize that they've got to cover this differently, or just or is there just no way in your you just think they'll never get it? Well, actually, I think it's a little more nuanced than most people think about it, right? Because especially probably for listeners of podcasts like this, we think about it in terms of the people who cover politics. What's really even more important than how the political reporters are covering it is whether or not the decision of the news desks are adequately elevating all the stories they should be about what they're doing, right? So it more than like someone sort of uh, talking about how silly DeSantis's thing is instead of the fact that the people from January 6th are being convicted of seditious um, insurrection, Right, that that story needs to be front page. It doesn't really matter what sort of t- cable talking heads are compared to. Is that on the front page? Is that the thing that people are seeing to associate with Trump and DeSantis and all of that? Right, and that's why the January six hearings were so important last right. year because it it elevated in people's minds exactly who they are. And so, yeah, I would like to see, you know, better political reporting, but the real indicator is going to be whether the front page is covering their crimes or not. Mike, I'm glad you made that last point. Uh, This is, Joe, we're just about out of time, but I think that's as good a place to end as any. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Mike, for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore Podhorzer, P-O-D-H-O-R-Z-E-R, and on Substack at michaelpodhorzer.substack.com. We'll link to it in the show notes. A reminder that this podcast will always be free and is now part of the Resolute Square.com uh, uh, family of podcasts and information. Check out the latest at resolutesquare.com slash trippy. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show, leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen, and you can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. See you all next week. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and you may know me from my career on Wall Street or my 11 days in the White House. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'll tell you, if you read books, you can. I love to read, and my new podcast, Open Book, is about just that. Each book is this curated source of knowledge, which we can buy for $10 and digest in 10 hours. Together with some of the brightest minds and authors out there, I'll turn the pages on everything from history and psychology to finance and tech. You can find Open Book with Anthony Scaramucci on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.